and welcome back. We are here again and again and again. This is I Eat Movies number 27. I'm, of course, your co-host, Mike, joined by my good pal, Dino, still surviving this humid, dreadful summer heat. How goes it, my friend? I'm pretty tired of the sixth month of August. <laughs> We've had August for a half year now, right? Yeah. That, that's, is that happening? That's Any. pretty much what's happening, yeah, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, we're here again. Uh, if you guys didn't check it out, um, definitely go back one episode to I Eat Movies number 27, our Table Scraps episode, where we talked about choice cuts from the 1980s. Want to give another special thanks to our guest, Brian Sauer, of the Pure Cinema podcast. That was a great episode. We've been getting great feedback on it. And uh, most important, we had a blast doing it. So we want to thank Brian again and for everybody else uh, who tuned into that. Uh, but this episode, we are back because it is, of course, um, that time of the season where it is my turn to repay Dino for introducing me to Trick Baby uh, wait, in this wait, third wait. season. We have, we have, okay, I'm still used, I'm not entirely used to us having seasons. Now we have time of seasons like i you suppose to, you have to prepare me for this stuff like are, are, are there are you know are there trimesters too like what else yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i get i guess that's that's basically what it is we have trimesters when it comes to these uh first time episodes but upon looking over the schedule uh it's you know as we're kind of getting down to the wire of our third season it was uh my turn now to repay the favor to dino uh so looking through the memory banks and trying to see what uh this man has not seen i decided to go um a little rogue and to dive into the 2010s uh for something that he uh surprisingly did not see so we're gonna go ahead and dive in this week for 2011's jeff who lives at home i can't help but wonder about my fate my destiny what if there's no wrong numbers maybe it's always the right number Hello? Mom? Jeff? Hi. You know you're supposed to say hello when you pick up the phone. Get off that couch or you're going to find someplace else to live. It's kind of in the middle of something right now, Mom. Jeff, what do you do in the basement? You're not cleaning it. You really want to know? You didn't like it last time we had this conversation. Okay, no, no, you're right. I don't. I got a phone call from Randy at Millennium Porsche. We're not getting a Porsche. You're just like in this mindset. We don't have the money. Yeah, that's the mindset I'm talking about. Pat. Surprise. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason, right? That's exactly it. Jeff! Pat! I was on the truck. The truck came here. Now you're here? I was meant to have a meeting with Destiny. Mom called. She's really pissed. Jeff's stuck. Maybe you could get him moving. Once again, I have to pick up your slack. What is wrong with you? Why do you want to live like this? Drifting through this life with no awareness? What are you talking about? Pat, who's that guy your wife's with? Why don't you just go in there and, t and talk to her? Oh, my God. You have no idea how adult relationships work, do you? I need to find out exactly what's going on so I'll have the upper hand later. Something really big is happening here. My wife is having an affair. We don't know that yet. Let's just let's follow this and see where it leads. I'm going to bring down the door. That's a terrible idea. I've seen you try to do things physically. Oh! I hate my kids right now. I don't know what that happened. They were so cute. I've been having this really weird dream about Dad lately. He says, Pat, what's the greatest day in the history of the world? And I'm like, Dad, I don't know. And he just looks at me and he, he smiles. Says today. He's, he says, today. How'd you do that? <laughs> Isn't the most important thing 
finding someone who sees you exactly as you are? Yeah. I just want to feel that we both want to like be in love. I want it so bad. Dude, you need to say that to her. in the car. I am fine. Yes, thank you for asking. Good. Yeah, so as much as I just introduced that as a film from 2011, um, this is something that sort of bothers me when we talk about release years, and I'm going to go with it because this is what's on the Wikipedia and the IMDb and what have you. Jeff Who Lives at Home premiered originally uh, at the 2011 Toronto International Film Festival on September 14th, 2011. It wouldn't uh, get a real public limited release until March 16th of 2012. Now, I always sort of, I don't know about you, but I always get mildly annoyed when the dates um, of certain release years get reflected because of these one screenings to a very intimate, yeah. you know, into, to a very intimate audience at like a film festival. I think that the year should be reflective of when it gets introduced to the general public, but I digress. That's like a very small, small thing that sort of bothers me about these it, things. But you're not the first person to say this. And I think it's worth noting that, you know, it's, it's like news. It, it's, 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 um, it, underscores the fact that you have to check your sources. You should look in more than one place because, yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot of people have made this point how uh, erroneous some of these things can be on IMDb. Like, I mean, I edit IMDb here and there, and, and uh, sometimes people do things like they discover that there was another version of a movie that was not the main released version. Like, say the main mm -hmm. released version, this just came up in a conversation the other day. The main released version that everybody got was 96 Minutes. Like one version, you know, one pr previous edit that the studio had accidentally got out in a later home video version at like, I say, 100 minutes. Mm -hmm. So some, you know, Klugscheisser, this clever shit, whatever, decides, oh, we have to edit IMDb because every version that everybody saw that is the given version is edit is it's 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 edited. It's it's you know, there's only one uncut when it's fact. In fact, that's not actually the case. But yeah. It's worth saying it's worth saying because um yeah if there's one advanced screening in like Japan like in December and then everyone else gets the movie in February in yeah. the rest of the world it's they they're going to claim it's from the previous year and it's it's not but yeah it's it just goes to show you you need more than one source you have to exactly <laughs> kind of look these things up but I, I I like the idea that you're surprised I didn't see this okay. um and I appreciate <laughs> that uh I, I appreciate that um uh, at least one person already hazed me about the idea uh, this week about the idea of me seeing a current movie. Not this one. Uh, th there is a, a Fletch remake uh, or a new version of Fletch, uh, yeah. Confess Fletch, coming up that I am. John Ham. Yeah, I am. Don't want to use the word optimistic, but nevertheless, as far as I'm concerned, 2011 is a new movie. Um, I don't care if it's nine years. It's yeah, it's too. Basically, this is you dragging me, kicking and screaming into what I consider to be modern movies. So yeah. anyway, um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and I'm and I'm happy to do it, but you know, it, it's it's crazy to imagine because. Um, I remember going to see this film specifically on March 17th of 2012 at the Cranford Theater. I saw this opening weekend, um, and it's just crazy to think about how in, you know, in just a decade's passing, how much 
um, the theatrical landscape and, uh, you know, seeing movies have changed and evolved so much in such a short period of time, um, you know, just to kind of, you know, roll the clock back a little bit and where we were at that point in time. So this film was distributed by um, a subdivision called uh, Paramount Vantage, which actually became, you know, started life as Paramount Classics in 2006 um, before they uh, kind of branched off and became Paramount Vantage. And they were a, they were a label that specialized in art fair. Uh, and, you know, just to give you some sort of, you know, overview of what, um, this label did, which was really great stuff. This is going back to, you know, um, you know, the even late nineties, uh, like with stuff like the Virgin Suicides, the gift, um, Craig Brewer's hustle and flow. Um, they did an inconvenient truth, the kite runner, shine a light, the Scorsese, uh, Rolling Stones documentary. And then once they morphed into Paramount Vantage, uh, proper, they released such films as Babel, uh, Black Snake. Moan, A Mighty Heart, Into the Wild, the Sean Penn-directed film, uh, No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, Revolutionary Road, and then Nebraska before they seemingly become became defunct in 2014. Now, it's crazy to think that, uh, you know, just a decade ago, you know, films like this and specifically Jeff, who lives at home, were getting, you know, all the uh, quote unquote limited releases. This was a film that opened up on several hundred screens across the country where that seems completely unfathomable in this day and age where there's, you know, endless streaming services where things get dropped, you know, uh, you know, without, you know, any sort of notice. And, you know, they're here on a Friday and they're virtually forgotten about on a Monday by people that are just trying to keep up with every sort of film that's coming out. It's, it's become a very tiring process just trying to see, uh, you know, z- you know, zeroing in on what you want to see and more importantly, how you see these things. So Jeff, who lives at home is a really fine example of, you know, the before time where indie films like this, it was still very much riding that wave of sort of, um, you know, the wave of Juno when, you know, that became the real indie darling. And then all these other, you know, bigger studios had their indie projects sort of, you know, um, trickling out of uh, their own sort of indie subdivisions within the greater um, studio system. So Jeff, who lives at home, is definitely an example of that, but sort of a relic of, you know, a a time that's really gone past to see that something this small and intimate and charming would get released on, you know, on a pretty grand scale that just does not happen anymore for films of this caliber. Um, So just to get a little bit of an overview, because I certainly have strong feelings about this film, but it's not so much about my feelings in this episode. It's more so about Dino's feelings. But just to introduce um, just to introduce everybody to what Jeff, who lives at home, is about. This is a film from the Duplass brothers, uh, Jay and Mark, respectively. Uh, Mark, uh, he has been. him and his brother have both uh, written, produced, and directed several indie films, such as The Puppy Chair, uh, Baghead, and Cyrus. Um, and both of them have dabbled in acting. Uh, Mark is probably the more prominent person, uh, at least in front of the screen. Um, you've seen him in a variety of stuff, such as Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, 2014's Creep. Paddleton, uh, Bombshell, TV's Big Mouth, uh, and as well as HBO's Togetherness, which is another film that he and his brother um, created for the network. And most recently, he's been appearing on Apple TV Plus's The Morning Show alongside uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. Great program. He's terrific in it. But uh, Jeff, who lives at home, was an indie effort that they did together together. Um, 
on a budget of about $7.5 million. And uh, this film follows Jeff, who's a 30-year-old unemployed stoner living in his mom's basement in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, we catch up with him, you know, right at the onset of the film, on the toilet, speaking into a tape recorder and going over his fascination with the M. Night Shyamalan film, Signs. And this is a, a film that he finds a lot of inspiration in, and it's reinforcing his belief in looking at the signs that we see all around us, but not you know, very few people pay attention to. Um, and slowly but surely, uh, the day sort of proceeds where he gets a phone call, a wrong number, um, asking for somebody named Kevin. And it's that sign right there that kind of starts Jeff off on this really interesting, bizarre journey. Um, his mother calls him, irritated at him, uh, you know, just not seeming to get his life together, to get off the couch, do something to, you know, better his his situation. And he sends, uh, she sends his son on an errand to fix the wooden shutter uh, in their house. So after the phone call, the the quote unquote mistaken phone call uh, from Kevin, he goes out um, out into the into the neighborhood where he sees uh, a kid on a bus um, wearing a basketball jersey with the name Kevin on it. And so his journey continues where he's following all of these signs, thinking that there's something there, 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 there's this path that he must find or, or follow to see what's at the end of this thing. And throughout all of this, at some point he uh, happens upon his estranged brother, Pat, who's played by Ed Helms. Um, and they have, like I said, been estranged for some time. And we learn throughout this film that, uh, the family, the three of them, their mother included, have all been sort of, uh, they've been sort of in a holding pattern ever since the passing of their father, which seemed to be happened, which seemed to have happened about 15 years prior to the beginning of this film. But it seemed to have been uh, deeply affecting all three of the people in this film. So Jeff meets up with Pat and slowly but surely... Um, we see that Pat is going through issues of his own. He seems to be suffering from a quintessential uh, midlife crisis where he uh, surprises his wife, who's played by the always terrific Judy Greer, uh, that he bought a Porsche without her knowledge. Uh, they seem to be in a really loveless marriage and things just don't seem to be going uh, the way that he probably intended his marriage to be going. Um, so when Jeff meets up with him, uh, they... They happen upon uh, his wife, um, Pat's wife, at a certain time uh, meeting and having lunch with another man. And it's at this point where Jeff and Pat go on a journey together to discover, to uncover whether or not Pat's wife is actually cheating on him. All throughout all of this, their mother, Sharon, who's played by Susan Sarandon, is working in her own office and she's going through a crisis of her own where she's unhappy with her two grown sons. She's unhappy, obviously, without having her husband at her side anymore. But then also um, she's getting uh, paper airplanes thrown into her cubicle with uh, illustrated flowers on them. It seems to be that she has a secret admirer within, 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 her, within office. her office. And uh, she confides in this information to uh, her friend who's played by the great Ray Don Chong. Um wondering on whether this is a joke or not and her friend kind of supports her and thinking that this is a really exciting thing to kind of maybe get her to come in to you know a, a new phase of her life at some point through all of these different uh journeys all of them will meet together at a at the climax of this film 
Following signs or not, whether they be fate or destiny, they all meet at a crucial point in this film where all of these signs lead them to something pretty monumental in this film. So I think that's roughly the gist about this film. I think I covered it fairly. I think you did now, fine. I think you I did, did okay. I think I, think I did, did okay. Right. It's uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm glad. Thank you for setting up a lot of um, what was going on around this because I'm trying to think back to this period of time and it's pretty fuzzy in terms of uh, new releases for me. Mm -hmm. But um, and I'm glad there's a few movies in all the ones you listed that I've actually seen. But <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know about this movie at all. Um, and I know the name of the Duplass brothers, but I didn't, I wasn't familiar with them at all. Okay. First of all, I should say this. I've, I've never watched signs and I'm not mm -hmm. going to. Okay. But Fair. that's, not, you know, anyhow, that just, I will, I will M. Say, and Mel Gibson together. I just, I don't need that in my life anyway. Well, you would, you would be surprised because I have been, uh, I have been, fooled by the by the Shyamalan twist many a times every time I'm willing to give him a chance then he he does me wrong but I will say that I still think Signs is my favorite film of his to this day I still I suppose it's notable like, I, I I certainly you know thinking of like the wave of, of, of indie you know films yeah uh that you were talking about it makes sense that there would be the, a quirk of like that that residual quirkiness of like let's reference this movie and then write a whole story that's based on this one guy's like idea of what destiny is and looking for destiny and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I like that this was based. This is a encapsulation of one day, effectively. Mm -hmm. And I, I think they. I'm still not sure how I feel about this movie. Um, I think they did a nice job in terms of, yeah, the locations are a little mixed up. It's not all Baton Rouge apparently, but um. I think they did a pretty nice job of making it kind of like this, this like, you know, um, smallish, somewhat cozy hometown type movie. Yeah, it's not really that uh, because uh, you know Jeff rides the bus, ends up in a neighborhood that he's not familiar with, familiar with, uh, you know, gets beaten up. Uh, I, like I, there's a certain level of, but there's, but nevertheless, these guys. You know, there's always there's always like relatively comic devices. Uh, the the comedy in this movie is is it's either again I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's either haphazardly applied or applied very delicately. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's, <laughs> it's a fine line. Well, I can't tell exactly. I mean, I feel like I need to watch this again, and maybe that's the best compliment I can give it because a lot of this worked very well for me, but at the same time. Uh, the music, I think, was really significant and also kind of irksome. Uh, mm -hmm. Like from the beginning, it, it, like I knew this was supposed to be a drama from the way the music immediately played. Mm -hmm. And I like that there's moments of like pretty reasonable comedy. And it's not silly, like slapsticky or gross comedy per se. It, but but it's also there were a few points in looking on it, like watched it basically almost one and a half times. Uh, where I'm like, okay, there's a few things that could have been a little funnier, but I guess that wasn't the initial thrust of what this movie's trying to do. Um, for, okay, so first of all, I you know, whatever, signs. The other thing is, where does he get the wood glue? <laughs> where does he get the wood glue? There, there's. It, it's funny how, like, this is a procedural thing in the middle of a day, but, like, there's a, there's a... And yes, there's supposed to be some level of like mystical you know emotional 
scenes in it that are that are built up for the viewer. And I, I can't deny it, at certain points it really sucked me in. I think that the final action sequence is, is really quite well done. I think it shows a lot of prowess on on, on the behalf of the directors. But um I don't know there's a few things that like logistically like kind of don't line up for me or I, I haven't quite Please. swallowed them entirely. Like uh-huh. I think they work relatively well, but it's like yeah, you know, okay. So Jeff ends up following some guy named Kevin, watching him steal like a Red Bull out of a at a bodega. There's a little bit of comic effect there between Jeff and the bodega, uh, like whoever's working there, and then ends up playing basketball with him, which is a little improbable. But at the same time, I guess Jason Siegel is you know six three, so whatever. He can fine. ball. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> and then then he ends up you know getting beaten up, you know, and and robbed. And it's like I right. get it that the agent of that even has the line of like, well, everything happens for a reason, but I guess his reason was, you know, to play basketball with a guy to win a game of basketball and then to rob him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not, I don't know. There's a few places where like, where like the, uh, there's a few places where I wanted a little bit more logic and a few places where the lift of, um, on, uh, the point where, where I'm supposed to lift, uh, you know, invest in the movie and lift a certain, you know, realism did work for me. So yeah, I'm kind of juggling those, those two things, but, um, I, uh, I like this cast. Um, it's a great cast. Yeah. And, I and like you know, this cast and, 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 uh, there, I don't know, you know, it, it, I'm still, again, I'm still grappling with the performance by, by, uh, by, um, as Jason Siegel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grappling with his last name also. Like, like, bear with me a second, because because sure. this is one of those things. Uh, it's S E G E L, right? Jason yeah. Siegel. Okay, so Siegel in German, S I E G E L, means seal, like a wax seal or a seal on a document. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's said the exact same way as George Siegel, which is George S E G A L. Okay, mm-hmm. not too different than Steven Seagal, S E A G A L. Okay, right. <laughs> and, and and like. You know that, like in other languages besides the one that we're speaking, there's actually rules for these things. Like, so Ron... I've heard. <laughs> so occasionally, I'm like, why is there like eight different eight different ways to spell Siegel, and you're all supposed to pronounce them exactly the same? Right. Anyway, Jason Siegel, I think at points, like I believe it. Uh, I like the, the like I believe that this stoner guy who lives in a basement uh, has these ruminations about destiny, but. In as much as some of the stories in this movie are deliberately truncated and there's not they're not meant to be resolved, which I like. Yeah. There's a little bit more of like suspended belief, you know, suspended disbelief that we're supposed to have about his level of wisdom. You know, at certain points, uh, Ed Helms, who's who's actually pretty good in this. uh, I, I don't dislike him. I just like I think we're supposed to dislike his character at one point, but like. Yeah, I think he's supposed to reflect sort of like the yuppie sellout, but he's also like just as equally as lost as his I mean, brother. He, but he he's trying to he, he works at a paint store. I don't know how much of a yuppie he is. Yeah, I mean, but, he, he's he's just trying to like establish the fact that he's an adult and he's a married guy. You know, like he seems he he tries to present himself like he's so much more um, learned in the ways of the world because he kind of, you know, he writes his brother off and he says it to his face, you know, I guess to kind of um i i guess to kind of um 
you know, put down people who might just write this film off as just like a silly stoner logic dramedy. Ed Helms says stuff, you know, uh, verbally to Jason Segel when he's talking where he's like, you sound like Yoda, uh, (laughs) like on crack or something like that, you know, like, so he's he's fully aware of the fact that his brother is kind of just spewing stoner logic. But, you know, the stuff that that Jason Siegel's character is saying is stuff that Ed Helms's character, Pat, doesn't seem to, you know, he doesn't seem to take it because he just he just dismisses it as stoner logic. But the beauty of it is that it's all these simplistic things that that Ed Helms can't possibly think applies to the way that adult relationships and the adult world operates but in fact it, it you you start you probably come into that as jaded as we can be we kind of come into this with with preconceived notions of what we would do or how we would act but the stuff that jeff siegel's character i think that that's sort of the point of it is that he does sort of have a stoner logic-y thing going on but the stuff you know the, the belief that he has behind it the purity that he has behind those words you you sort of buy into it and you're like yeah why why don't we think like that you know and i think that's that's one of the messages that this film is trying to to get across that maybe just saying you know just coming clean and saying the simplest things can make the biggest difference in the world as you know as simplistic as that sounds and um as unbelievable as it sounds to Ed Helms, uh, you know, I, I think that that's sort of the beauty of it and why, you know, why you, you know, you very quickly end up being, you know, in support and on uh, Jason Siegel's side. Well, he's also very like, I don't know. I, like I said, I'm, I'm still digesting this. So maybe I'm just looking for things to like take apart. Um, frankly, uh, he's also like a very, like, this is a very um, nuanced, very slight, like, you know, stoner, l- like depiction of a stoner character. Like, yeah. we see him hitting a bong once, and basically, you know, his mannerism is is a little bit off, maybe. But I, I don't really, I'm not sure I totally. It's not a caricature, for sure. Like It's, it's not it's a caricature, definitely... but it's very, it, 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 I mean, it's somewhere between, like, hard to believe or or carefully carefully constructed i'm not totally sure there's so there's so many there's so many points in it i mean the ending is the obvious point the obvious place to look at where uh, i'm not sure what i believe in his like in his transformation from the beginning of the movie to the end if there it is the right word it, it will you know whatever the whatever his 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 um his goal in figuring out his destiny at least for the day was going to be um Sometimes I believe it and sometimes I don't. It's funny. Like maybe I should, you know, he, he, I think he does a lot of, he's, I think he's one of these actors who does a lot of acting with their face. Yeah. And sometimes I'm trying to read his face and sometimes it works. And sometimes I'm like, it, it, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Anyhow. Um, yeah. I, 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 the, the score, the score to me is a little bit, a little bit pro it, it 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 works for the movie at some in some ways but in other ways like especially from the beginning like i already know this is a drama like i <laughs> it already signals to me i think it's got a lot of like maybe kalimba in it probably xylophone i don't know uh it already signals to me that this is kind of like a touchy feely type drama so there's like, a little already, pandering going on with the score i think they're i think they're genre markers at, in this movie that are very clear from the beginning as what kind of 
you know, where where to file it in terms of indie film. And you're right. Like, I think of the 2000s more than, I, you know, into the 2010s, uh, which, like you said, this is a bit of spillover from that. But I think of, like, the bigger budget uh, indie films that did get more distribution. Um, and, and, yeah, they, they did follow a certain pattern. So the, the, there mm-hmm. is that, and, and part of me wants to react against that. Uh, but again, this movie this movie got started. It's moving, and for the most part, I was with it. You know, for the most part, it, it, like the, the the quirks of it, the fact that the character Jeff decides it's okay to jump on the back of a, a of a candy truck just yep. because he feels <laughs> like it, and then when the candy truck takes it back to a hotel where his brother conveniently is 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 you know, trying to stalk his, uh, his wife where Pat is trying to, that Holmes character, Pat is trying to stalk his wife. He just gets off the truck and goes, this shit is aligned and, you know, <laughs> and, and so forth. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, th- there is a charm there, how much I'm swallowing that charm and how much I want to dissect it. I'm not exactly clear on, but, um, but to your point too, I mean, you know, just to, to kind of, to continue what the point that you were making initially is that about this cast, and you're right. I mean, this is it, it, it's a very it's a tight knit cast of basically five people. You have Jason Siegel and Ed Helms, who were really, um, you know, at arguably the peak of their talents. I mean, you know, Jason Siegel was riding high on um, TV's How I Met Your Mo- Mother, while uh, Ed Helms was right in the thicket of his fame uh with the hangover trilogy and being on the office. So these guys were kind of at, at a point, uh, and uh, you know, that, that's not even to say all the, the many comedies that Jason Siegel was starring in up to this point, forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, knocked up. This is 40. All these th- things were all leading. Um, and uh, of course, uh, the same year that he did Jeff who li- lives at home. Um, he revitalized the Muppets franchise for Disney, which I think is a phenomenal film. Um, but it, it's really cool to see them come into, into an indie film like this um and i think that there's something about it the fact that this film was written and directed by two brothers um i think that there's a lot of personal touches that comes through when you know that this is made by two brothers who are very tight who seemingly work together on all um most of their creative endeavors so i think that that comes through that personal touch really comes through um it, it, it's it's it was so nice seeing Susan Sarandon in this. Um, I think that she's really wonderful and low key. And uh, Judy Greer, who I think is oh, she's like she's like the female John Goodman. It's like no matter what sort of movie is happening, if you see either of those actors pop up, you're like, there's a charming like in, like in this film. There's <laughs> Judy Greer. She's just always great. She's just a presence that I've always enjoyed in movies. She has such a gravity to her. Um, and, you know, she, getting her start and stuff like Jawbreaker. And then she's always appeared in, you know, indie stuff like this, like Adaptation. Funny enough, um, she starred in, <laughs> she appeared in M. Night Shyamalan's follow-up to Signs, which was The Village. Um that she, one I've that one I've seen. That's, she that's, she uh, played Susan Sarandon's daughter actually in Cameron Crowe's Elizabeth Town, which I think is a very underrated film. Um, yeah, she she and then you know she just appears. Uh, the last like five to eight years, she's been in a, appearing in a lot of blockbusters in these great supporting roles like Disney's Tomorrowland, uh, Jurassic World, <clears throat> Ant Man, um, the 
War for the Planet of the Apes and the last two Halloween films. So again, she's just this one presence that obviously people love injecting her in movies because she just she just has a, a naturalness about her that's very likable. Um, and I know that we talked about Ray Don Chong before, but was that a nice surprise for you? I know I didn't tell you that she was appearing in that because like she is. I couldn't such remember a... if this was the movie. Was this the movie that you mentioned previously for her? I can't recall if this was the one or not no this this had to have been it because i feel like mm. this is one of the things because you know we always associate uh ray don chong with um you know her her 80s output whether it be beat street or or, sure. um, or fear city or what have you so it's really great uh, or the i eat movies uh selection the squeeze perhaps um yeah. but yeah it, it it was really really surprising when i saw this movie opening weekend to see her of all people because she's she's always been a working actress um but you she just after the 80s and into the early 90s you didn't really see her pop up in too many um uh prominent things so it was really surprising to see her in this and just you know being just as charming as she always was yeah i i i like her and i like the interplay between her and sarandon yeah i'm not sure if the if where the plot is going between the two of them and you know the that is probably the most mystical element. I mean, I understand you have Susan Sarandon in the movie. She can't. She needs something to do. the 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 traject the trajectory of the two of them together or whatever that's going to be. I like that that doesn't go much further because I agree. I don't know how much on board I was with it to begin with. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, I understand. Well, you know, this is this is the 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 events of a day. This is. Uh, the type of movie where we're supposed to believe that multiple characters are having some re- serious realizations when uh, when they're put in a in a more serious situation in the pro- course of the day. Um, not, not sure exactly what that's about per se, but mm-hmm. again, um, Sarandon, you know, I, I I I buy them as coworkers in this place. Uh, not sure I see Radon Chung's character, Carol, um, you know, setting off the fire alarms per se, but yeah. uh, nevertheless, right. she is, you know, she is in real life, what, like some at least 15 years younger than Serena? At least, yeah, yeah, I would Something say like so. that. Um, so, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a she's the younger peer in the office type, whatever character. Yeah. But, I do uh, agree with of, you, though. I agree with mm-hmm. that because, you know, like I, I think the film, um, you know the the fact that it all takes place in in a in a day's time, and the fact that the the runtime on this film is eighty three minutes. I mean, it, it's it's a uh, it's a very wow. yeah, it, it's a very tight film. It's it's very tight, and I think very well handled. And I I think that them establishing these three uh, lost souls, you know, having their own personal journeys, I I really like how Susan Sarandon's arc is handled and they handle it very, you know, um, very well, I think, because like to your point, you know, the fact that um, Ray Don Chong, it's eventually revealed that her coat, that um, Sarandon's coworker, who's played by Ray Don Chong, she is her secret admirer. And there's this thing where they kind of go back and forth where she sort of, Susan Sarandon is, it's certainly not disgusted, but she almost seems embarrassed by the fact that her female employer is the one that's attracted to her because she very, very clearly states, like, I'm not gay. And Ray Don Chong says... Co-worker anyway, not, you know, employer. Yeah, right, co-worker. 
And Radon Chong just simply says that neither am I, and she just, you know, going back to the stuff that Jeff is sort of spewing throughout this whole movie is just saying what you mean, you know, just simply. And uh, Radon Chong just uh, give, feeds her a line about just being, um, you know, isn't it important to just be with somebody um, who accepts you and, and likes you for who you are. Uh, and gets you at this time in your life. And Susan Sarandon seems to have, you, you know, yeah, like a light, a light bulb goes, goes off in her head. head. And it sets them off on this journey where they leave work early and they're just going to drive down to New Orleans. And it's it's not really saying much more than that, that, you know, there's going to be some sort of romantic future for them. I just thought that that was really beautiful, that it's sort of like, yeah, like this poor woman's been lost for probably 15 years since the death of her husband. And, and that's a really another important thing about this film where that being only 83 minutes, they don't, they, they don't drown you in exposition about why all of these people are lost souls or why exactly Jeff is, you know, he's this melancholy stoner. It, it's, it's sort of sprinkled in, in there that we see that like the matriarch of their family has been dead for a while and ever since that that patriot 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 yeah ever, ever since that ever since that passing they've all been sort of broken in their own lives and now we're catching up with them now and the effects of that passing how that's how that's affected them in the 15 years past i really thought that it was really well done and i you know i i think that a lesser screenwriter probably wouldn't have been able to handle it in such a, you know, in, in such a tight manner, the way that the Duplasses did here. I think it looks good. Uh, I think it looks good. The, 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 the fire sprinkler scene again, I, I'm going back and forth between execution and intent. Like the intent is like, we have to have these scenes with these characters to borrow the Herbie Hancock line, hang up their hangups, you know, yeah. like, like Ed Helms character has to get over the fact that he's not, you know, he's fucking up his marriage or whatever because of poor, his Porsche or whatever the fuck he's going after. Mm -hmm. uh, I like how also there's something going on with him and some guy at Hooters. And we don't know what the fuck that is, but it's never explained um, at his business meeting at Hooters, so to speak, quote unquote. Um, I do I don't like that exactly. that guy is like absolutely like not interested in being there with Ed Helms. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he was probably like, I'm hungry. I really don't want to go to lunch with Pat, but I'm going. Right. <laughs> and, and, and he then gets drunk. But it, nevertheless, like, I, I don't know. There's like, there's a little bit of like, yeah, it looks good. It serves the purpose. The execution, like, I, I you know, I, I think I think there's a, there's a couple things sprinkled in um, subtly that come after scenes as dramatic and sweeping and, you know, heavily scored as the, 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 the fire sprinkler scene, like the scenes of uh, Carol and Sharon in the car where it's like having second thoughts, want to go back and, and so forth. Like, I, I think those humanizing, I think those humanizing bits that are, you know, sometimes funny, but not nearly as, um, built up those work very those work well in in kind of you know bringing you back to earth on some of these things uh I, that said there's, I don't, a, there's a lot of i don't that. totally believe that they ran you know that just this one day it all comes to a head and now you know there's something more intimate between them what, what, emotionally whatever 
you know, the, the anyway. Maybe you're just not reading the signs, Dino. Maybe you're just not reading the signs in your own life. Maybe that's... Do I have to <laughs> that I'm not going to watch this M. Night Shyamalan movie with Mel Gibson? Um, no, that, that, that's what no, the signs it's, are it's, telling it's, you. That's your journey now. Yeah, it's, it's what, look, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we're, we're meant to, what is the course, what is the core concept of this movie? Like, to, like well, to, to your reading, like, what are we supposed to take away from the parallels? What are the important parallels? What's the takeaway between the arc of the characters in this story? I mean, I, I think that, at its core, I think that this is a film about relating loss, love, and the will to carry on. But probably more important than anything, I think it's just it's 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 sort of um, embedded into into the really the fabric of the plot. And it's just that the signs it's just that the simplest acts can make all the difference in the world. That's what I think that this film is really about. I think that it I think that it's really simple minded. And while that may not play so well on paper paper, and it seems so so innocent innocent to think that a plot like that that could carry. I think it works. And I think that that's really the takeaway that you should take from this film. I think that that's what it is. And especially, um, I think that you had uh, alluded to it before about the climax. I think that it seems on one end, if you're not fully on board with this film for the majority of the runtime where you just think, oh, this is kind of silly stoner logic, dramedy, wah, wah, kind of stuff. But it's once you get to that climax, uh, I don't know. I mean, like I got, you know, watching it again. And I mean, I really liked this film initially. I mean, I, I sought this film out because I thought that there was something special there. Um, so seeing it in the theater and then revisiting it, I've, I've watched this film several times. But yeah, like I, I got to I got to be perfectly honest with you. Like, um, I just find it like really beautiful and mm. emotionally provoking. Like I I like it hadn't happened in a long time. But once we get to that climax, like I got pretty choked up honestly like i might like tears in my eyes because i i just there was just something about the brother you know the the brother relationship and just you know i i i don't know i just i just feel like in movies i just have a lot of empathy for the lost soul or like you know the person that's just lost their way i just i just have a lot of empathy for characters like that and i think that jason siegel did it really well and just the interplay that he has with ed helms just trying just trying to break through to somebody who isn't getting you and like they're your blood. Like it's just, you know, it it just, it makes you feel certain ways that, you know, I, I just felt that they handled it really well. And then there's another really, um, even before that, um, there's a scene that you mentioned about when, um, Jeff hops on the candy truck and ends up at the same hotel that, Ed Helms um, has found his wife and this other man in and they they band together to knock the door down. And uh, there's this whole ruckus finally that, uh, you know, the Judy Greer character tells basically tells him that it's over. She's going to go move in with her mother. You know, we can we can just cut things off now. And um, after that, it's just uh, Jeff and Pat and they're left and just sitting in the bathtub of this Mm -hmm. hotel room bathroom. And that scene is is really emotionally provoking because it's i feel like that's the breakthrough for pat's character where he finally just kind of opens things up to jeff and interestingly enough that film 
that scene was 100% improvised. Right, the du- right, the right. Duplosses just let the camera roll for around 40 minutes and let them just kind of improvise that. And it comes through and Pat kind of just wears his heart on his sleeve and just tells his brother that, you know, he wants to be in love with Linda. Like he wants to love Linda and, you know, just kind of coming out with all this stuff. And Jeff, again, simply just says like, I think you should tell her that stuff. I think she would love to hear stuff like that. And that was like, <laughs> maybe I'm a softy. I'm sorry, but hearing that, I'm like, that is so fucking beautiful to me. Like, I just think like, yeah, like the older we get, like we complicate things by over explanation or not saying things when we should have said them. And here's just a guy pouring his heart out to his brother in very simplistic terms about his wants and life. And his brother just says, you should say that to her, like just exactly what you said. You should say that to her. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, sure. It's maybe looking at things through like, you know, rose colored glasses like, oh, yeah, if we just said all those things, all of our problems would disappear. Maybe not, but I think it would be a hell of a start, you know, and I think that that's a kind of a beautiful thing that like a film like this is sort of baiting you with a little bit. The viewer, I mean, it's sort of baiting you a little bit. I know maybe, maybe the film's getting, getting me a little too emotional for this episode, but I don't know. I just, then, then from there, it takes us to this climax that we've been talking about where all three of them converge. Um, they're stuck in gridlock traffic, um, on this bridge, uh, in Louisiana they're all held up and Pat is going, you know, he jumps out of a car and he's going door to car, door to car, door to try and find Judy Greer's character. He says what he means. Sharon and Carol are in another car seeing, seeing his, seeing her son, uh, you know, run past. And then Jeff's character still searching for his destiny. Where has this journey been bringing him that to the point that he gets out of the car to see why all of this traffic has been backed up and it's because of an accident. A car has flipped over into the water and the next thing he does is he charges for the accident and jumps right in. And he's, I'm so sorry. I'm getting a moment. Do you need a moment? It's okay. I, I, I can work with this because because well, when I, what I what I what what I wanted to ask you before, yeah, uh, or I, I what I started, you know, it, like I wanted to get to, like the, the like the, the this this climax sequence is important, but there's another important scene. Well, what I was asking before is I wanted to know what your takeaway in terms of a morale, you know, a moral here, like a, a core concept of what this story is doing. Um, you know, I said hanging up, you know, some of your issues like uh, Sharon. Uh, like Sharon has to um, uh, about her unhappiness or her loneliness or her issues with her son. Like Carol, uh, like Carol might have to with the fact that she has this uh, crush on on Sharon. Like uh, Pat might have to in that he's, you know, more up uptight about, uh, you know, more uptight about like bigger picture stuff and not focusing on his relationship. Like more upset about. Uh, you know, uh, the restaurant that, um, that Linda goes to, yeah. uh, which, which by the way, I, I, I've, I've eaten at, uh, That's <laughs> so in oddly New Orleans. Enough, yeah, I know. 
Yeah. Uh, and that, that's what threw me off because uh, I've eaten yeah, there. That was that was the one cheat I have in my research. I saw that was the one thing they actually really cheated. Like around the time of this movie, too, oddly enough. And I was mm-hmm. like, wait, what is Koshon is a Koshon is pig. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it means pig in French, but it, it's one of those like, how am I going to forget eating at a place called that? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing like, you know, is the is is a core concept here like that emergencies bring people together. Are we trying to go toward the idea that um, uh, a fraternal relationship is is actually, uh, you know, useful and required, at least for these two characters? Do they actually really need this? Um, the others, the scene before we get to the end that I think is important is the cemetery scene. And, yeah, and, and that's you. one of the thank things you. where where um, I do like the idea of like we're kind of bumping around Baton Rouge a bit. Mm-hmm. The idea that this uh, this candy truck that Jeff jumps on just ends up at all the right places makes you know gives you a certain like well this isn't that big of a city uh, type of feel but they you know in in not having the Porsche after the, the hijinks of <laughs> the kind of <laughs> the kind of predictable like hijinks of crashing a Porsche in this movie um, which which <laughs> which does seem like a little bit more like you know, a little bit more uh, hangover than necessarily this kind of film. Yeah. Uh, the two of them are walking around and they just happen to walk to the cemetery, end up at the cemetery where their dad, their dad is, uh, is interred. And um, Jeff and Pat have this moment where they realize they're having the same dream. And yeah. Pat basically says, yeah, just, you know, this idea of our dad saying this thing. Um, and this is, you know, I didn't exactly get choked up. No offense. Uh, you know, uh, feel free to cry. This is a safe space, et cetera. <laughs> um, but, uh, I didn't exactly get choked up, but like, th- like this is like the important thing, like, especially in a movie that like is doing this link letter type thing of telling the whole story compacted into one day and, and look at all that can happen. Yeah. Very link letter. Yeah. I'm in happy terms of like, that, yeah. yeah, in terms of being engaged and so forth, um, and trying to pay attention is is this idea that their dad would say he would ask them you know what day what's the greatest day in the history of the world and keep saying that today is the greatest history the greatest day in the history of the world which by the way since i'm already focused on the german thing today is actually um is actually a, a proverb or a saying by by goethe he said you know nothing is more highly valued than this day uh that to me is the point where i'm like okay that's what this movie is about and and the point that we're supposed to believe this kind of you know noble savage savage ish like stoner wisdom thing is the fact that that's the one point where jeff really gets upset right that's the one thing you know he's been beaten up he does tell his brother he's an asshole in this scene right but um the one point where he gets upset is like, look, we're having the same dream. And Pat's like, yeah, it must have been something that he kept saying to us or something. Yeah. He doesn't. And, yeah. He doesn't want to like he he's still there's like a resistance in him. He doesn't want to give himself over or like open himself up there. And it's like that's all his brother wants. Like they're they're at this moment where they're like sharing this. And and it, and it is it, like I, you feel Jeff's frustration because anybody you want to believe this anybody would be like wait we're having the same fucking dream like not that's... necessarily not necessarily anybody come on some people like well, I, I, yeah I mean, well that's what that's what i mean i i mean you would think that if like people knew their dad well enough that it's like that never happened and like until this dream but like i i, I think that like jeff's reaction 
is you know it, is the right one because it's like they're here they're they're having this moment now at their dad's gravesite like and this is this is precisely the sort of signs that Jeff has been looking for the whole movie and now he's here with his brother to share in this 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 in Jeff's head this should be the moment like this should be what today was all about but Pat is like he's you know he he's unable at that point to surrender himself to that so so if it's not necessarily like the importance of signs and you know I, I think this movie is showing us that some signs are sillier than others like uh, i don't think this is it even if you could add up every single step of jeff's day like you know you don't necessarily need to get beaten up by some random guy beaten up and robbed to understand that like you and your brother need to have a better relationship yeah. <laughs> like some so, to me the takeaway is much more of a this is the importance of living in the moment between the two brothers where Jeff as hapless as he is, all he's supposed to do is go buy wood glue on the bus at home Depot with the five bucks. His mom left him. Yeah. Um, he is trying to pay attention to things and at least stay grounded in the moment. And that's the one thing that his brother Pat refuses to do. Cause he's, uh, he's upset about, you know, the snobbish people who eat a cochon and, 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 ha and, and is my wife, you know, whatever. And so he's not necessarily focusing on what's in front of him or keeping his feet, is just saying is keeping yeah. his head where his feet they, keeping his head where his feet are you know they just seem to be at all different levels like you know or at all different moments in their journey where they're just not all lined up with each other until that climax you know we have jeff who seems to have the right thinking he has the right way of thinking about this where i think he knows that he he can't have he can't let the pain of of you know of yesterday impact what we have today i think that he i think that he's aware of that he can't let the death of his dad you know you, you know ruin what you know the happiness that can be after that but jeff can't get himself to that place physically because the two people in his world that should be there and you know they should be his rock aren't really there for him you know like like they 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 pacify him they, they write him off as you know a stoner or whatnot so that's why it's like it's interesting to see that like they're constantly drifting trying to find meaning and but it doesn't all come together until this moment this climax on the bridge um yeah let's, obviously emotional. yeah let's get to that because because i you know the thing like i think this is for all the iffier parts of this movie where I'm like, you know, trying to process them a little bit. Uh, I think this last sequence actually works very well. Like, I, I think the idea that these guys can shoot like a tense sequence like this it's really, really comes through here. And and like, but like the Helms and Siegel do their own stunts. That I don't know. It kind of looked like it, right? Like, it really I mean, looks like each of them is jumping off that bridge. There's a bunch of stunt players listed, but it's like that's pretty, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not, maybe they're not entirely in the water or what have you. But it, it, it's pretty well, it's pretty well shot for, you know, a movie that's that's not like it doesn't it's have a lot of special effects or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so yeah, so so uh, Jeff basically looks out. We we get this this. Um, we get this shot, this one shot of Jeff, you know, getting out of the the the, the stopped cab. Uh, it's one of the many uh, cars that's stuck on this on this bridge over water, and 
again, acting with his face, we get this one shot close up on his face where he's processing what's happened. He's seen a helicopter. Uh, and then, you know, we cut straight to um, a little bit of comic relief where the rest of his family is all standing there. Linda, uh, Sharon, Carol is there, not the his family, but, and he just bolts past them. And he's just yeah. literally running to the point of the accident because he realizes there's a car in the water and it's sinking uh, and just really doesn't even pause, just jumps right into the water to try to get whoever's in the car out. And, um, and, and, and like just this action scene and with the subsequent events, he gets the two girls, he gets two little girls out of the car up to the water. Some guy shows up with a, uh, you know, like a Boston whaler or something, gets them into the small, this boat. And he goes back cause the girls are saying, my dad, our dad's still down there. Um, I didn't like the girls very much, by the way. <laughs> I didn't think they were all that convincing. But again, it's their child actors next to this performance. And then basically, he doesn't come up after their father comes up. And Pat runs to the scene and jumps in the water himself to try to get his brother out yeah. um, of the water. At which point, the uh, Coast Guard arrives as he gets his brother, who's like, you know, passed out at this point from being underwater so long. And there's this sequence of them on uh you know a coast guard cutter like with them trying to revive um jeff yeah and uh yeah and it's uh it's at that point where you know it's it's really emotional because it's it seems like uh you know jeff's on his last legs he's not the build the build to this worked for me like this this was really like this was kind of I don't necessarily want to say like getting into gear, but this really this really held me. Go ahead. Well, yeah, and and it does it, and I mean like it, you know it, like we said it. I mean it, it's it's very it's emotionally involving, but w- once we get to this bridge, and especially once we get to Jeff running towards it, it the way that it's shot and everything, it really almost becomes like its own mini movie. It, it stylistically becomes a little different from what we've seen at this point. There's a different level of engagement because there there's there's peril now in front of us. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're on this boat where Jeff uh, is trying to be resuscitated and uh, Pat is obviously, you know, incredibly emotional at the thought that he's possibly losing his brother. And again, another uh, comic relief moment that they managed to resuscitate him where <laughs> where uh, Jeff pukes a little bit and uh, he's breathing heavily. And then he, he turns to Pat and he goes, I'm hungry. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. like, you know, like, what, what, what a way to break the levity and kind of bring, you know, a laugh as you're kind of uh, choked up as I was. So, um, yeah, well, Hel- Helms kind of switches at this point, like just the fact that he's like panicking about his brother, yeah. who not that much further in the movie, he's basically kind of like doesn't want anything to do with his brother. His brother's the fuck up. He doesn't want to deal with him. You know, talking to his mother on that phone call at Hooters, it's like, you know, he's your problem, you know. Yeah. So so it is a very different performance. Um, and then, of course, so, yeah, so so they, they resuscitate him. He's hungry, et cetera. And then it cuts to um, that's the end of the dialogue, I think. Right. It's the yeah, it's the end of the dialogue. And then we catch up with them some sometime later where, you know, uh, everybody's back at home. Uh, you know, there's certain moments of uh, there's a doc, I, I guess there's a doc sequence in between 
There's the reunited yeah. doc sequence, but you go ahead. Yeah, where they embrace the, you know, Sharon and, and her two sons embrace um, on the dock. Everybody's okay. And then we jump uh, back at Sharon's house where it seems to be another day uh, where there's no, 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 no. It's not. It's not. It's her birthday. It's yeah, still her birthday saying, yeah. because they, they have a cake. Yeah, but but at, yeah, that but I'm saying that's all one separate day. That moment, like we're jumping scenes from like a birthday scene to like Ed Helms and Judy Greer in a hallway, like that's all another you know, day. You, you, so, so you saw that as being not in the same day that the rest of the movie is. Oh no, yeah, no, I I definitely saw that as like another day. Yeah, I, I really like, because yeah. she makes the point that it is her birthday earlier in the movie. I don't. Jared does. I don't know. I mean, like, that seems... I mean, I guess that's possible. I, I, I didn't think it was, like, months later. I thought it was maybe, like, days later or something. Interesting. But, may, huh. but maybe you're right. Yeah, I, I guess that would check out. No, 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 no. It has to be the same day. It has to be the same day because of the news report. Oh, you're right. Of course. Of course. It is the same day. Okay. So they've had a very trying 24 hours oh yeah 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 so yes it is the same day everybody's home and they're celebrating sharon's birthday carol is there um as well and uh we see um jeff sitting down and there's a news report uh kind of covering the events uh the accident the bridge we see the two daughters just being thankful that their dad's there saying that they don't know what they would do if they lost their dad and then the news reporter eventually reveals that the father's name was kevin and we get a look on Jeff Siegel's face of sort of like, I guess, accomplishment or knowing that, like, that was the sign. This was the journey that led him to this. That was his purpose. And now things are hopefully going to, you know, be on the, you know, on the right track for them now, which, you I, know, again, I don't know. I, I don't know if I read it exactly the same way that I forget yeah, the Kevin. That's right. But he's also a town councilman. He's also has hmm. some uh, some political position which is a bit of a dangle i think as to what's going to happen next mm -hmm. but uh, i i think I, I like i took from that scene like he gets the you get a real reaction when one of the girls again whatever they're kid actors <laughs> one of the girls is like <laughs> i just don't know what i do without my dad reaction shot to you know his face again jason siegel acting with his face thinking about him doing without his own dad etc yeah but i he, I kind of think it's been like zeroed out. Like, I think it's the end of the day. And I think, I don't think there's necessarily like a sense of like major satisfaction or whatever, but it's like the day ends. Like I, yeah. I, I, I think in looking at Siegel and how he's acting, how Jeff is acting in this moment, it's like, he doesn't know what's next either. Like, just like he didn't know what was going to happen next, like at the beginning of yeah. the movie. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that it's, it, it's, it's definitely true that like, you know, the, you know, history has, you know, it had, nothing's been written in stone yet for them, but I feel like this day, the end of this day, there's hope now. I think, mm -hmm. I think that like Jeff is given some sort of renewed purpose now, and that I, I think that he has he has grieved enough at this point where I feel like this is the moment that has been leading where like, forget the heroics of him saving Kevin. It was just this monumental thing that brought all of them together on this journey, whether it be fate or destiny, but it brought them all together at this moment to be, you know, witness to this very obviously, you know, emotional 
thing for them to witness together that that there's some sort of renewed purpose that they understand what it means to be a family again i think that that's a little bit fair to say because you can obviously see um in the hallway that pat and uh and judy greer's character are are definitely there's there's definitely a renewed connection there because they were they've been cold to each other from the start of the movie but this is the first moment where you see a glimmer of hope there there's and a that hope long there. and that long hallway shot where we see that it's jeff looking at them to me that little sequence was a little that to me that's a little bit more forced like i'm I, yes i look for these things but yeah. that was a little bit more forced a little bit more sure. oh you had to do that sure. like the point at which this is why i look for like a little bit not necessarily downbeat, but a little bit more grounded, like ending to this movie, where I look at it that way, because applying too much gloss at this point ends up being, you know, like uh, something I don't really just want. a little too overly sentimental. Yeah, well, yeah. There's a, there's plenty of sentiment in this movie. It's just it, like I I like I like it balanced with a little bit more realism. Like like I mean, <laughs> I'm glad it's the same day because. From this point forward, I don't know if like Jeff is going to start screaming every time he hears the name Kevin. Like right. I, I, I yeah. can understand why he would. Like I've had enough with this. Like you right, know, right. So, but yeah. Uh, and and th- th- there's a few things. There's a few things. That, you know where. Uh, oh, and then, oh, well, I'm sorry. Before we like jump. Oh off yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. The, the the last shot, I guess, definitely just like a comic sort of thing. Like after he, uh, Jeff sees the news report, he gets up. And he gets the glue and reapplies the wooden shutter that his mom. Wait, the one thing. At what point did they stop home? Like coming from like, <laughs> you know, he got like, we gotta go to Home Depot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let, uh, who got him the wood glue? Yes, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. Like, who yeah. got him the wood glue? Yes, I get it. It's a resolution that has to happen. But it, it just it, to me, it, like, like I, I I liked it, but it's also like I think they I think there could have been a good that I think they could have missed a joke there where mm-hmm. like. You know, there's a, maybe there's a scene of Susan Sarandon being like, okay, fine. After this day, I'll buy the fucking wood glue or right. something like yeah. that. Like, like I, I don't know. Like, like in some in some spaces, like I was glad that they didn't rely on humor too much, and in some spaces, I felt like humor might have grounded some of the parts that were a little bit glossier. Yeah. But again, I'm not resolved in this movie, and maybe that's the best thing I can say about it. It's like I I think it re- I think it worked for me for the most part. A couple bits, a little bit too much, but yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where, like, uh, you know, people definitely took um, to this film. I mean, it was pretty uh, critically, it was pretty highly critically rated. I think uh, by a good amount of people, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. He called it a whimsical comedy um, that depends on the warmth of Siegel and Sarandon, the discontent of Helms and Greer, and still more warmth that enters at midpoint with Carol, Susan uh, Susan Sarandon's co-worker at the office. It's not a feel-good movie, more of a feel-sort-of-good movie. And Peter Travers um, also gave the film three out of four stars, and he described it as, quote, funny, touching, and vital, and he praised the Duplass brothers by saying that, quote, their films hit you where you live, which I would agree with that. I think everything that I've seen from them especially HBO's togetherness um, uh, really taps into that. They kind of bring you into the interiors, into the interior of family life. Um, Some happy times, some moments where you kind of like want to look away because it's a little too, you know, it's too emotional to like comprehend or or to face. And I think Mm -hmm. that they tap into that sort of stuff really well while still 
telling really compelling human stories. Um, but yeah, you know, one thing that we didn't mention and, you know, we're, we're always prone to talk about production design, but in the, in the very beginning of the film, when Jeff gets that first phone call and he's in his, um, and he's and he's in the family kitchen. I I really like that because we don't spend too much time in um, people's uh, personal spaces. That's like you know, it, it the film is only book ended with us at Jeff's home. It's in the opening, and then at the end when we're uh, eating cake for um, Susan Sarandon's birthday. But I did really like that in that kitchen. What what do you see in that kitchen? That kitchen is all wood paneled. Almost the entire house is very uh -huh. wood paneled, which at least to me told me, oh, this family hasn't changed times or evolved since their dad was around. Like, th like that house still looks exactly like it because that is a very, very old style of housing. That is like very 80s, 90s. So I took I thought that was very smart and very intentional that they had the house look like that because that's not modern. And I at least to me, and I, that made me feel like that was a very clear indication of a subtle thing of like how stunted this family has become. Well, so, so, so then, okay. So then the symbolism of repairing the wooden shutter, which is like, mm -hmm. what was part of the kitchen or something? Yeah, exactly. Beginning, it, you know, so, so then you, so, so then you're basically saying that the, um, the shutter could be seen as a symbol of like fracture within their family. Like, yes. uh, like, you know, I grew, look. I grew up with wood paneling. Also, it's to me, it's yeah. very seventies. Yeah. But uh, but the idea that he has to fix this then becomes a bigger symbol of <laughs> the importance of wood furnishing in this family's life. You know, it, <laughs> That's what this movie's it, about. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, home yeah. decor is important. Look, I want to see a whole movie about wallpaper. We need to bring wallpaper back. Yeah. In a <laughs> It's true, actually. But nevertheless, no. So, I, OK, that's interesting. I didn't think about that because yeah, um, I took to that's what I saw, at least. I, I mean, I would love to get your thoughts on that. But that was the first thing that I picked up on. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, that is a very, very old style looking house. And and we, it's, it's said again and again that Jeff is 30 and their dad died right around the time like he was in high school. I think, I think it's a 90, I think it said 95 on the 95. On the so that tells you that, you know, like that I, it was, it was very subtle, but it definitely, it informed a lot to me about the family and Jeff in particular. I think it's interesting also, um, you know, I think about, again, this is a couple years later, but I think about like the late two thousands and a lot of the people that I really liked, who were still making movies uh, before mm -hmm. the transition where all the money kind of went to uh, television yeah. as much as uh, the Duplass brothers. And you know them much better than I do. I do. I'm just literally just going off of like raw data on IMDb, but it seems like as much as they're active in uh, producing things for other people, perhaps yeah. uh, this is one of their last movies as directors. They directed one in 2012 that's listed as two that listed for 2012 yeah, but then everything else has gone to television, and 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 to me that you know that that I think that has to be that story has to be told along with the same shift you started us off with, where these indie films, even with uh, major studio backing or studio imprint backing, like they could be made at this period of time, and in the, in the same period of time, directors were being given the opportunity to tell stories in the film format before all the money kind of sucked them all to television. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it is. I mean, I feel like to some degree or another, we're sort of seeing that 
return, but it's definitely in in very um, exclusive cases. Very prestige filmmakers are getting this opportunity or this palette to tell their personal stories, a la Tarantino with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I don't think you thought that one fucking episode would go by if I didn't mention that movie again. That's Um, fair. You know, uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Belfast, uh, Licorice Pizza, P.T. Anderson, uh, I, uh, Sam these, Mendes is doing These are something. all the big, I mean, Mendes perhaps accepted. These are all the big names at this point. These are all established yeah. big name directors that have studio pull. That's what I mean. This is where you see that, like, these are the people that are getting that opportunity to tell these yeah. these intimate stories. Whereas, you know, a decade ago they these were happening i mean most of the studios had these sort of you know built in sort of indie imprints to kind of throw bones to the mm-hmm. filmmakers of their studios be like you want to tell a personal story like here's four million dollars like we'll put it out right. here or emerging talents that they were sort you know that they would discover and then they would go on to to uh bigger stuff and and they did that and, and paramount vantage was a was a really really big champion of that so i think it's really sad that that um folded seemingly folded um after uh the release of nebraska because god damn it we need more films like that but i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that we're gonna get more to that because i you know the box office says a lot but you know i think the people on the street will tell you that i think you know the general audiences are kind of getting tired of the blockbuster thing i think that they're yearning for something more and uh you know also the, so i hear I'll you i i, I also think it. I also think to this movie's credit, it's um, it doesn't feel like something that has come out more recently. It's not nearly as bleak. It's not nearly as like not just dark in tone, but dark in look like there is some humor to this. This I guess in some ways this is a bit of a throwback, uh, albeit in, you know, then current uh, indie clothing to um, to like, you know, in a way 80s dramas you know mm-hmm. there's a bit of that to this and and i think that's probably the best spin i could give this one i like this movie it, it, you know i i'm just i'm chewing on a few different a few things that as you could tell that i'm like could have done this a little different you know whatever but again this is to repeat like this is you dragging me into what i consider to be modern movies yeah. even if it is like the end of the era uh that you're referring to like this is still like a pretty new movie as far as i'm concerned yeah well that's kind of why i mean there there were multiple reasons i wanted to introduce you to this one you know least of which you hadn't seen it before but the fact that there were things i think that the, you know there the family element and you know like lost souls i think that we both kind of universally have empathy towards that sort of stuff or protagonists mm-hmm. that deal with that sort of stuff and the fact that like as you mentioned this was sort of like the dying days of these sort of films before all that money went into television a lot of these people gravitated to television and you know you know to be fair the duplass brothers from uh, from everything that i've heard they had many opportunities to kind of step up into that bigger realm um, they were offered things, and, and but I think they actively chose not to do that. They wanted to stay in these sort of budgets where they could tell these personal stories. And it's true. They do put their names on a lot of stuff to produce or executive produce. And a lot, at least creatively, behind the camera, they've been behind on television stuff. But I would love to see them get back to a feature on um, a level like Jeff Who Lives at Home. Because I think it's really special. I mean, it's a, you know, I think, like... 
I mean, as if I haven't said it enough in you know this episode already, but I just think it's really you know it's it's really beautiful, it's charming, it's it's an emotionally provoking, and it's very rare in in the, the amount of movies that Dino and I watch that I get choked up on things, and I did like <laughs> I got choked up again and kind of had like um you know tears brewing up in my eyes, and I love that. I love when movies can do that. So you know, for anything else, you know, I, I think that. There's a lot of messages in this film that you could, you know, take or leave. But I think if you're willing to open yourself up to it, I think you'll find something uh, to enjoy. But I'm really happy that you didn't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) This was 2011, so it could have gone either way. There's a a good dose of the realism that I was looking for. I'm glad you didn't hate it. Uh, I didn't hate it. Uh, You know, I I would give this uh, who the fuck cares how many stars. The star thing has (laughs) ruined people with movies, I think. No, I I think it was pretty good. I I don't think it was um, maybe quite as transcendent as you found it. Uh, But I I think I think it does show a certain um, a certain skill, not just, you know, not just the action, the tension action sequence towards the end. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's certainly a likable movie. I was pretty tired when I watched it and it still kind of sucked me in and that's really kind of it. That's really the thing. So effective, to say the, effective to say the least. I appreciate this one. Uh, it, it is, it is funny to me to think that, you know, nine years ago was, uh, more than nine years ago. Yeah. Uh, even, 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 even as I'm alleging at this point that this is basically like, you know, Jesus, Mike, you brought me a movie that was made two weeks ago. This is like brand new as far as, <laughs> as, far as my scope of things goes. <laughs> How dare I? Yeah, I know. I mean, that's uh, that's what we do. We we like we like to give you, you know, uh, all uh, you know, all all layers of the onion on I eat movies. That's what we try and do. But, uh, but I brought you into the into the two thousands uh, with uh, Igby goes down, and you did. You you brought me into the twenty tens with this one. So that's. Uh, Fair cop, as they say. <laughs> Tit for tat. There it is. Uh, so if there's not anything else, I think that's going to do it for Dino's first time on Jeff Who Lives at Home. We want to thank all you guys for tuning in, as always. Dino, tell the good people where they can find us. We are I Eat Movies Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram. Please rate this episode. Um, please let us know if we screwed up. Uh, please let us know if we didn't screw up. Please let us know if you uh, think we should cover... Um... <laughs> <laughs> we should cover more movies from the 2000s or if we're completely crazy. But uh, you know where to find us. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Um, yeah. Uh, again, we're humbled by the fact that people actually want to listen to what the fuck we have to say. Unbelievable. Uh, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have said it better than uh, than you, for sure. So thank you guys again for tuning in. We'll be back again, as always. So until next time, eat more damn movies. Thanks, Dino. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.